it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. Unfortunately, I am flying solo again for today's podcast, but it's not for lack of effort. I swear to you, I scoured social media for an English-speaking Sassuolo fan, and after about a day of searching, I just gave up. So I have two parts for you again on today's show. Tyler and a few others reached out to me for my thoughts on the collapse of the Gabri Vega deal, so I'll talk about that in part one. And then in part two, I will do my best to preview our match on Sunday against Sassuolo. So let's begin with the Gabri Vega story. On Wednesday evening, completely out of nowhere, Fabrizio Romano tweeted out that after several months of negotiations with Napoli, Vega decided to join Al Ali of the Saudi Pro League. And not only that, Fabrizio put his here we go stamp on the tweet which he only does when he is certain a move is going to happen. Apparently, people from Al Ali called Fabrizio to confirm the deal. That really rattled a lot of Napoli fans who were eagerly anticipating the arrival of one of La Liga's brightest young talents. And just like that, the pitchforks and the A16 signs re-emerged. So let me walk you through how I believe this all transpired in truth. We don't yet know exactly what happened, so what I'll do is lay the facts on the table, provide a little bit of analysis as well as a little bit of my own opinion, and hopefully with all of that you can form your own opinion or supplement your opinion if you already have one as I'm sure you do. One thing I'm sure of is the opinions on this 
are going to be very wide ranging and that's perfectly fine. This is one of those things where there's no right or wrong, just different opinions. So what we know for sure is that Vega had a 40 million euro release clause in his contract and that Napoli were trying to negotiate something a little bit lower than that. According to transfer expert Nico Skira, Napoli's offer for Vega was 36 million euros including bonuses. I also saw reports suggesting that there was also going to be a sell-on fee in the neighborhood of 5-10%. to That would have likely satisfied both parties. If Vega did not work out, then Napoli would have paid less than the 40 million euro release clause. Meanwhile, if Vega did work out, then Salta Vigo could have earned even more than the 40 million when the percentage of the future sale was added. The deal seemed so close to completion that Napoli booked the player's medicals for Sunday the 20th of August, but Vega never arrived, and that was the first indication that we got that something was up. The initial report was that there was a dispute over image rights, which didn't concern me a whole lot. ADL has historically been pretty rigid with image rights, particularly with his young stars like Victor Osiman and Hrycha Kvaraschelia. Then we heard that the agreement Napoli prepared had some discrepancies from the verbal agreement between the parties. There was also a report about the agent commissions on the sale, but even then we were told that they were just settling the final details and the negotiations would conclude within a few days. Then on Wednesday we got the bombshell from Fabrizio Romano, which left a lot of Napoli fans really upset with that Laurentiis, and understandably so. It also left a lot of people concerned about the Saudi takeover because Vega would be the youngest star player to transfer to the Saudi Pro League at only 21 years of age. Up until this point, most of the players taking these super lucrative deals have been guys in the latter stages of their careers like Karim Benzema, Neymar, and Ronaldo last season when this whole trend started. Now there have been a couple of 24 year olds in Ruben Neves and Roger Ibanez, though we all know Ibanez is not at the same level as some of these other players. Everyone you talk to who knows Gabri Vega will tell you that he is an absolute gem of a player and sadly, of all the parties involved in this transaction, he is probably the one that's going to lose out the most. While it sucks for Napoli to miss out on a potential star player, we still have Zielinski and we can still go after another player like Lazar Samrasic if we so desire, but ultimately the club will be fine. Likewise, Salta Vigo were prepared to sell, and this deal puts a few extra million euros in their pockets because Alali agreed to pay the full 40 million euro release clause. And the agents are happy because they got their commissions, which, as I mentioned a moment ago, was one of the points of contention. Now, Vega will be paid handsomely to play in the SPL. The reports are that he will earn 12.5 million euros net, which is nearly six times what he would have earned at Napoli. On top of that, Spanish newspaper Voz de Galicia is reporting that Vega will also earn 15% on a future resale, which could be worth another 5 or 6 million euros. Some people, including his soon-to-be former coach Rafa Benitez, describe it as life-changing money both for the player and his family. Maybe it is, but he could be taking the 50 million guaranteed now at the expense of potentially more in the future. What I mean by that is, Vega would have only earned 8 million euros net over the same period at Napoli, 
but playing at Napoli would have allowed him to showcase his talent on the biggest stage, namely the Champions League, and if he's as good as everyone says he is, then his play at Napoli would have garnered attention from bigger clubs who probably would be willing to pay him 10 million euros net a season. And then, after that, as he's approaching his 30s, he could have still made the move to Saudi assuming this league is not a short-lived fad like it was in China. So if he bet on himself, he would have potentially earned about 50 to 70 million euros over the next decade, compared to let's say 125 million in Saudi assuming they maintain the same salary for 10 years. Now, that is a significant difference in salary, but is 125 million more life-changing than 50 million or 70 million? I'm not so sure. Many people were quick to point out that if he has so little confidence in himself that he feels obliged to accept this offer rather than bet on himself, then that says a lot about his character and we might have dodged a bullet here. I partially agree with that statement, but I would posit two responses. First, Footballers are always one knee or ankle injury away from the end of their career, so even if he's confident in himself, this is still an extremely difficult decision to make. Perhaps he is just risk-averse by nature and would rather take the 50 million now than risk picking up a major injury and leaving all that money on the table. The other response to this is I don't think Vega is thinking clearly and I think his decision has been heavily influenced by an individual who may not have the player's best interest in mind, but I will come back to that in a moment. Back to Benitez, he also said that Vega is still young and can also return to a more competitive league later if the Saudi league is not already a competitive league, like Yannick Carrasco did after his move to China. I'm not so sure about that either. Maybe the Saudi league will be competitive in a few years' time, but it's certainly not a competitive league today. By the way, when I say it's not competitive, I'm not referring to the level of competition within the league. What I mean is the league as a whole is currently not at the same level as the top five European leagues. It is clearly a league that is still under construction. Seemingly, the only way that it will become truly competitive as a league is if the clubs outside of the top four start investing more or if the state-owned public investment fund purchases a few more clubs. Today, they own four clubs, Al-Hilal, Al-Nasser, Al-Itihad, and Al-Ali, and those are the four clubs that are doing all the spending. Now, you could say that the top four teams or fewer in each of the top European leagues outspend everyone else too, but in my opinion, those clubs have a lot more appeal than the Saudi league. If we're being honest... Other than local players and perhaps Muslim players, most players are only going to Saudi for the money. Some players have even openly admitted that. They're not going for the culture or the history which a club like Fiorentina has to offer in abundance in Florence. Also, beyond the Champions League, European clubs compete for the Europa League and the Conference League. That gives players even more exposure where they hope to catch the eyes of bigger clubs. Now don't get me wrong, Saudi has a great football culture and they produce a lot of quality players, but that is naturally a much smaller pool than the rest of the world combined. So the only way for them to attract talent, even for the smaller clubs, is to offer more money, and of course they have the means to do that. Transfermarkt posted a graphic of the top 10 net spend in a single season, The top 9 were various EPL seasons, and 10th on the list 
was the SPL from this summer. Now, I think the point Transfermarkt was trying to make with this graphic was that the EPL is still the Super League. However, the post leaves out a few key facts, namely that all 20 clubs in the EPL spend money versus only 4 clubs in the SPL. Of the SPL's 747 million euro net spend, 725 million was spent by the four clubs owned by the PIF. The reason I mention that is because, according to Nico Skira, Vega has reportedly signed a four year contract with Al Ali expiring in 2027. That is four seasons where he will simply not be developing at the same rate that he would be if he was playing in a top 5 European league. That means the interest in him from European clubs might be a lot lower come 2027. Likewise, with all the competition for positions in Spain's midfield, he's probably not going to be called up to the Spanish national team either. Now, surely Vega would have known all of this before signing his contract, so you have to wonder, why did he still proceed with this deal? That's where I come back to the individual I mentioned earlier, which is his agent Pini Zahavi. I have no doubt in my mind that this man had a huge influence on Vega's decision to go to Saudi. I also have no doubt that this man cares far more about himself than he does about any of the players he represents. Zahavi made his first player deal in 1979, so he's been an agent for nearly 45 years, and some of the transactions he's been involved in will give you a sense of what this man is like. In 2003, he played an important role in facilitating Roman Abramovich's purchase of Chelsea Football Club. In 2005, he was involved in a couple of tapping up controversies. Tapping up is when a player is advertised to another club without the written consent of his current club. Back then, the rules prohibiting tapping up were strictly enforced. The same rules remain today, but nowadays tapping up is basically accepted as common practice. Former Bayern Munich sporting director Hassan Salihamidzic nicknamed Zahavi the Greedy Piranha. Zahavi represented two Bayern players, Robert Lewandowski and David Alaba. Zahavi earned 10 million euros in commissions on the transfer of Lewandowski from Bayern to Barcelona, and he made 9 million euros on the transfer of Alaba from Bayern to Real Madrid. According to the Italian media, Zahavi will earn a commission of 1.3 million euros on the transfer of Vega to Al Ali. I suspect that when the report surfaced that one of the details to sort out was the agent commissions, this is what they were referring to. According to The Zone, the agency owned by Zahavi paid Gabri Vega's family in exchange for absolute power over the final decision regarding the transfer of the footballer. Vega's agents would thus have obtained the right to veto any decisions of the footballer and his family, effectively buying the power to decide his future. When you consider that Al Ali paid the full release clause and the agent commissions, their offer was at least 5.3 million euros more than Napoli's offer, and that's assuming that Vega would have earned all his bonuses. So for anyone who is saying that Napoli should have just paid the release clause, that 5 to let's call it 8 million euros, factoring in the bonuses, is a material amount. 
Now, you might say that ADL should have still paid it. We made 100 million euros last year, plus 50 million or so on the sale of Kim, and another 10 million from Monza's obligation to buy Andrea Petania, so we have plenty of money there. But if you do the math, a lot of that money has already been spent. We spent 36 million euros on the purchases of Natan, Jens Cayusta, Elia Caprile, and Valid Kadira. We also paid Hellas Verona 12 million euros when we exercised our option to buy Giovanni Simeone, and we paid Sassuolo 26 million euros when we exercised our option to buy Giacomo Raspadori. That's a total of 74 million euros that have already been spent. Then you have to consider that we are about to give Victor Osiman and Kvicek Varaschelia significant pay increases. The reports are that Victor is going to make at least 10 million euros net per season. I've even seen some reports that say he could earn as much as 15 million euros net and I believe he currently makes around 5 million. Likewise, Cavada's entourage has apparently asked for 5 million euros net as well which I don't blame them for, they're seeing the reports about Osimen, and Cavada just won the league MVP. Cavada currently makes about a million and change on salary, so combined, Osimen and Cavada could earn 9 to 14 million euros net more than they currently do. That's roughly 18 to 28 million euros gross. So if we extend Osimen and Cavada at those rates, which I'm sure everyone wants to happen, then, when you add the 74 million euros that we've already spent on transfer fees, we would have already spent about 92 to 102 million euros. That leaves about 58 to 68 million euros in net income, but don't forget, some of that money has to go towards the expenses of running the club. The reason it's so important that we qualify for the Champions League is because if we don't, we are probably going to lose money on that season. Just look at all the teams who do not qualify for the Champions League. Other than Atalanta, who make a lot of money on the market, the rest are losing money. Even some of the clubs in the Champions League are losing money. On top of that, we probably still want to use some of that money to sign another player or two, either now, which seems unlikely, or in January. So that brings me on nicely to the whole Piotr Zielinski situation. Looking back, my personal belief is now that Napoli were only going to buy Vega if they sold Zielinski. I know there were reports that Napoli were seeking Vega regardless of the Zielinski situation, and I shouldn't pick and choose which reports to believe, but that just seems to be the most logical explanation to me. The Zielinski sale would have funded most of the Vega purchase. Between Zielinski, Elmas, and even Raspadori, we'd have too many attacking midfielders if we added Vega. With Zilu staying, it probably makes more sense to look for a player in a position of need, like a proper backup to Lobotka. Obviously, from a fan perspective, we would have loved to have both Vega and Zielinski because our depth would be unreal, and Vega could be the understudy to Zilu like Zilu was to Hamsik, but from the club's standpoint, I think I can understand their situation a little bit. I'm a little unsure on that point, if I'm being honest, because here's the thing. We just won the league, and that's exactly how clubs are treating us, like the league champions. I get standing by our core principles, because that's what got us to this point, but as champions, you have to expect a little bit of inflation. And for me, that's just the cost of doing business if you want to remain at the top of Serie A, and if you want to go further in the Champions League, which De Laurentiis said was the goal. 
I also can't help but wonder if the departure of Cristiano Giuntoli is part of the reason we haven't landed any of our summer targets. Maybe ADL is just not as good at negotiating as he seems to think he is. Both Lenz and Al Ali trolled us after our respective plans to sign Kevin Danzel and Gabri Vega were thwarted. I thought those posts were really unprofessional, but they also tell you that Lenz and Al Ali were really upset with De Laurentiis, especially the latter. Perhaps Juntoli provided a buffer between De Laurentiis and the clubs that we were negotiating with in the past. Back to the trolling, you would think that Lenz kept like Marquinhos and Al Ali snatched Kevin De Bruyne from us the way they were celebrating those moves. The reality is, those players were not that important to us. Would they have made us better? Of course. Does that mean we're not going to be competitive for this year's Scudetto? Not at all. We still have one of the best squads in the league, and for that simple reason, we should still be competing for the Scudetto. Personally, I think some people were a little harsh with their criticisms of ADL for allowing the Vega deal to fall apart, not to mention the absolute morons who insulted Valentina on social media. She had posted a graphic that had the words protect your daughter crossed out and educate your son written below it, and of course, a bunch of losers insulted her and her parents in the comments, which is beyond ridiculous, and then she ended up suspending all of her social media accounts. Anyhow, regardless of how this whole Gabri Vega situation played out, I think we are going to be just fine. It's not the first time we've missed out on a target, and it will not be the last. That's just how it goes sometimes, and this is just the reality in this bizarre time for football. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview our match against Sassuolo on Sunday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fort pod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at fortsanapolipress.com. Alright, so let's preview our match against Sassuolo on Sunday. I briefly discussed Sassuolo's match against Atalanta in the first round on our last pod, and I have to say they did not look very good. However, with all the change at the club... I think that's certainly understandable. I don't know about you, but I did not realize just how active Sassuolo were this summer. Perhaps it's because I was distracted by all the changes happening at the clubs at the top of the table, particularly Inter and Milan, but also Roma, Lazio, and Juventus. But when I looked at all the changes at Sassuolo, my sense is that this is a club that is very much in a rebuilding phase. Of course, the transfer that did get a whole lot of attention was the sale of Davide Fratesi to Inter. Inter had to get very creative with this transaction given their financial situation. So they agreed to loan Fratesi from Sassuolo for 6 million euros 
and they will have an obligation to buy the midfielder for 27 million euros. Sassuolo can also earn an additional 5 million euros if certain bonuses are achieved, and will get 10% of the proceeds of a future sale. So the total cost for Fratesi was about 38 million euros plus 10% of the future sale. Now, Inter offset some of the cost of the transfer by selling their young striker Samuele Mulatieri to Sassuolo. Mulatieri seems like a promising young player. He was a graduate of Inter's Primavera, where he scored 15 goals in his final season. He spent one season at loan at FC Volendam in the Dutch Eredivisie, where he did really well. He scored 18 goals that season, plus he added another goal in the playoff. In 2021-22, he went on loan to Crotone in Serie B, where he did okay. He only scored 6 goals in the league and 1 in the Coppa Italia. And finally, he had his breakout season last year on loan at Frosinone, who of course won the league to earn promotion back up to Serie A. Muletieri scored 12 goals and tallied 4 assists in only 1,500 minutes for Ichochari last season. The youngster is off to a decent start for Sassuolo. He scored an extra time brace in Sassuolo's Coppa Italia first round match against Cosenza. Sassuolo were already up 3-2 when he scored in the 115th minute and then again in the 118th minute. Now Muletieri is one of a number of youngsters that Sassuolo have brought in this summer. They also signed 24-year-old central midfielder Daniel Bolocca from Frosinone. Boloca is an interesting player. Only a few seasons ago, he was playing for Fossano in Serie D. He was even without a club for a few months after the end of the 2019-20 season. That's when Frosinone signed him. He was mostly used as a substitute in his first season, but he earned the starting role for his second season and remained the starter last season. Sassuolo purchased him for 10 million euros, so within four seasons, he went from being without a club to a 10 million euro purchase from a Serie A club. Sassuolo have actually done quite a bit of business with Frosinone over the past few seasons. We saw three ex-Sassuolo players with Frosinone last round, Ricardo Marchizza and Abdu Haraui in the midfield, and Stefano Turati in goal. Turati extended his loan for another season. But back to the youngsters, Sassuolo also signed 18-year-old midfielder Luca Lipani from Genoa, to 19-year-olds from Roma, attacking midfielder Christian Volpato and right-back Filippo Misori, and 21-year-old centre-back Mattia Viti on loan from Nice. Viti started against Atalanta and Mulatieri, Volpato, and Misori all featured in the second half. Misori actually played the entire second half, so it seems Sassuolo do intend to play their young signings. Finally, the Nero Verdi brought in a few more experienced players on loan, including goalkeeper Alessio Cranio from Monza, Matthias Vigna from Roma, and Euros Racic from Valencia. On the outbound, Sassuolo sold centre-back Khan Ahan to Galatasaray in Turkey, left-back Rogerio to Wolfsburg in Germany, and right-back Mert Muldur to Fenerbahce in Turkey, so their backline is entirely different this season with the exception of Martin Ehrlich. They also loaned Georgios Kiriakopoulos to Monza and Luca Moro to Spezia in Serie B. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. For Napoli, I'm expecting only two changes to the squad that Garcia fielded against Frosinone. We'll line up in a 4-3-3 once again with Alex Meret in goal. I know a lot of people want to see Natan start, but I think Garcia is going to continue to roll with Juan Jesus alongside Amir Rachmani. As I've said before, I don't think Jesus deserves all the hate that he gets. 
especially after Cayusta's difficult debut, I think Garcia is going to take his time with Nathan and start Juan Jesus. I'm expecting Matias Oliveira to start at left back, but I would not be surprised if Mario Rui started instead. For me, they are still options 1A and 1B. And of course, Capitano Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. In the midfield, we should be back to our preferred trio with Stanislav Lobotka as the regista, Piotr Zielinski as the attacking midfielder, and Andre Frank Zambuangisa as the box-to-box midfielder, though as we know, they will all be all over the park. That's the first change I'm expecting, and Gisa to start over Cayuste. After playing the entire second half against Frosinone and a full week of training, and Gisa should be back to full fitness. The second change is for Hrichek Paraschelia to start on the left wing over Giacomo Raspadori. Cavada appears to have recovered from the muscle fatigue that kept him out of the match against Frosinone. Now we could see Raspadori move over to the right wing, but after his performance last week, I think Matteo Politano has earned the opportunity to start against Sassuolo as well. And finally, Victor Osimen will start again at striker. For Sassuolo, Alessio Dionisi appears to have switched from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1 formation for this season. That makes sense given the changes in personnel, namely the sale of Fratesi and the acquisition of Nedim Bairami from Empoli in January because Bairami played as a number 10 at Empoli. As I mentioned earlier, most of Sassuolo's depth consists of really young players, so I'm not expecting many changes to the squad that Dionisi fielded against Atalanta, if any at all. I'd love to see Alessio Cranio get some time in goal, but it appears for the time being that Andrea Consigli is still their preferred number one, despite being 36 years of age, I believe. Martin Ehrlich and Mattia Viti should start again at center back. The one player who I could see being replaced is Matias Vigna. He was really poor against Atalanta. As I mentioned, Dionisi replaced him with Filippo Misori at the break, so I wouldn't be surprised if Misori started from the first minute, and Jeremy Tolian should complete the back four at right back. In the midfield, I expect to see Mateus Enrique and Maxim Lopez in the double pivot. Armand Lariente will definitely start on the left wing and Gregoire Defrel should start again on the right wing. Dionisi confirmed on Saturday that Berardi did not travel with the club. I will come back to Berardi in a moment. And finally, Andrea Pinamonti will start at striker in front of Bayrami in the number 10. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match, and probably the only one that really matters, is we need to stop Armand Lauriente. From what I saw in the Atalanta match, Lauriente is Sassuolo's only legitimate goal-scoring threat. Thankfully, he plays on the left wing, so he'll be up against the stronger side of our defense, with Di Lorenzo supported by Rachmani and Politano. If we stop Lauriente, the chances of Sassuolo scoring declined dramatically. Sassuolo's top three goal scorers last season were Berardi, Fratesi, and Lauriente. We already talked about Fratesi's departure to Inter. The Berardi situation is an interesting one. He was heavily linked to a move to Juventus. Apparently that's where Berardi really wants to play, and they must have been close because Berardi was kept out of the squad for the Atalanta match. He returned to training this week, but Dionisi said that he would not be fit to play until the next round. Now that could well be true, or it could mean that Sassuolo is still negotiating with Juventus with a week left in the Mercato. 
Either way, it makes sense to not play him against Napoli, which definitely works in our favor. The next top scorer for Sassuolo last season after those three was Andrea Pinamonti with five goals. I want to say that he just needs the right coach to break out because he has all the attributes to be a solid number nine. But Pinamonti scored 13 goals under Dionisi at Empoli just two seasons ago, so I'm not really sure what's going on with him and why he's struggling, but he is still very young, he's only 23 years old, so he has plenty of time to come around. My second key to the match is more of a personal preference, and that is, I would like to see Napoli control this match from start to finish. We had a bit of a shaky first half against Frosinone, which was completely understandable. It was our first match under Garcia, and we were missing a couple of key players in Anguissa and Cavada. We were definitely in control after Anguissa came on at the start of the second half, though it was still pretty tense up until Osiman scored his second goal. Both Anguissa and Cavada will be back in the starting 11, and we will be playing at home. Some of the papers are reporting that the Maradona is nearly sold out, but according to Get Napoli Tickets, who you might know as Michele from the In the Shadow of Vesuvius podcast, only 45,000 tickets have been sold. Michele cites the mandatory fan card and higher ticket prices as the reason the Maradona is not sold out, though many Napolitani are also still on vacation. Either way, we should have a good atmosphere for the home opener and strong support behind our team. Shout out to our podcast regular Vincenzo Bertillo. He will be in attendance for this match, so I'm very happy for Vincenzo. My third and final key to the match is I would like to see a few non-regular players. Now that sounds like I'm taking a victory for granted, and I certainly don't want to do that. I realize that this will only happen if we have a two-goal lead or better. If we have a one-goal lead or worse, then we're probably going to see the likes of Elmas, Mario Rui, Raspadori, and Simeone come off the bench, and I think that makes perfect sense. However, if we do have a two-goal lead or better, then I would like to see Leo Ostegaard, Nathan, and Cayuste get some playing time. With Nathan still getting up to speed, I think it's only fair that Ostegaard gets a few minutes off the bench. I was chatting about this with a few Napoli fans, and the consensus was that Ostegaard probably doesn't play more than he should because he is still prone to making costly errors. Personally, I do not see him as a true backup to Lobotka. I think that is just something Garcia has been experimenting with, given the possibility of Diego Deme leaving. We know Garcia likes physical midfielders, and there are few stronger warriors in the world than the Vikings. I also don't really want to see Juan Jesus play the full 90 minutes. Maybe he can do it if we achieve our second key to the match, because if we are in complete control from start to finish, then he probably won't expend that much energy. However, as I mentioned last episode... I think our direct vertical play makes us more susceptible to the counterattack, and that's where Jesus can get exposed because of his lack of pace. Now, with Rachmani pretty much guaranteed to play the full 90 minutes, only one of Ostegaard or Nathan could replace Jesus off the bench. In that case, I'd like to see Nathan get a few minutes just to get his feet wet and to catch a glimpse of what he has to offer. I think Nathan will eventually be the starter, but looking at our schedule, the soonest I see him starting is against Genoa on match day 4. If he doesn't start against Sassuolo, then he definitely won't be starting against Lazio, or at least I hope not. Then we have the September international break. Genoa is the first game back from the break, so he would have been training with Napoli for a while by then. 
Also, they may be the oldest club in Serie A, but they're still newly promoted, so just like it was worth the risk to experiment with Cayusta against Frosinone, I think it would be worth the risk to experiment with Natan against Genoa, and only three or four days later, we have the first match of the group stage of the Champions League, so either we play Natan against Genoa, or we have to play him in the Champions League, and in that case, I think I'd rather play him in Serie A. Come to think of it, you can appreciate why Garcia is playing Ostergaard as a holding midfielder because otherwise, he's just not going to get a whole lot of minutes. He'll probably spell Rachmani in the early stages of the Coppa Italia and get the odd appearance when the Champions League begins and we're playing twice a week, but I'm genuinely concerned that if we don't give Ostergaard more playing time, then he will eventually request a move. I think he was willing to accept a supporting role last season when Rachmani and Kim were the clear starters, and knowing pretty early in the season that we could win the league. Now he's looking at Juan Jesus and an unknown Brazilian kid as the possible pairings with Rachmani, and he already has a Scudetto on his CV, so unless he really loves the city, which it appears he does, he may be more eager to get playing time somewhere else. Finally, I want to see Cayusta come off the bench only because he had a difficult debut for Napoli, but I actually don't think he was that bad and I think he did show that he has the qualities to be a good player so it would be nice to see him come off the bench just to get a short opportunity to redeem himself. For my prediction I am going to go with a 2-0 Napoli victory and I will give the goals to Osimen and Cavada. Osimen is always hungry for goals he wants to be Capo Canonieri again and Cavada must be just dying to get in on the action. I'm sure he's aware of the criticisms that he didn't score much at the end of last season, and he will be eager to show everyone that that did not mean anything. As I noted, I do not see Sassuolo creating much in the attack. Of course, anything can happen, so I will not guarantee that they don't score. They could get a lucky penalty kick like Frosinone did, and they have a couple of players who could have a moment of magic. One player to keep an eye on is Maxime Lopez. I think he might be a little extra motivated for this match after he did not make the move to Napoli. You might recall that we were heavily linked to him as a potential backup to Lobotka, which I would have loved, and I think he would have liked it as well. He was kind of hinting at a possible move to Napoli at the time, and I think he has a similar profile to Lobotka, and he plays with Grinta. However, Garcia came in, and despite having previously coached Lopez, I believe it was at Marseille, he said that he was looking for someone more physical in the midfield, so that is something to keep an eye on if Maxime Lopez is going to come out to get a little bit of revenge. Ultimately though, I do not see us losing this match, and for me, anything other than 3 points would be a disappointing result for us. Okay, that is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I will be back next week to review this match, and I promise I will bring on a guest to help me out with that. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Sports 
Sports Social Podcast Network.